everyone's nervous system is unique and will respond to different things differently. And so what that means in the challenging side is that you can have to get to know yourself and your body and your nervous system, and you're going to have to get to know what you respond well to. But on the positive side, you will develop a relationship with yourself that is skillful and that is you know, custom to you. And it will be rewarding and fulfilling and enriching in a way that just having a band-aid approach, oh, just do this technique, will never be for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast for all of you who want more, more out of yourself, your relationships, your intimacy, and life. My name is Sophia Josefina, and I'm here to bring you deeper. I'm a sex, life, and relating coach, and I'm fascinated by all things masculine and feminine and bringing the two back together, helping people connect on a deep and real level so we can show up for each other, partner with each other in our healing, and call each other back into our power. A very important part of that for me is honoring both sides, the masculine and the feminine, creating more understanding, more compassion and respect for each unique experience. And so in this series, I'm speaking specifically to men to honor them, to hear their perspective and how they go through relating the feminine life. Because so often we have demonized and devalued men in their experiences, needs and struggles. And I want to change that. So I hereby welcome you to my Deeper Into Him podcast series. And before we get started for all these conversations, I want to give a bit of a disclaimer because I realize that this conversation about men and women, masculine and feminine, can sound both heteronormative and gendered. Bear with me. Masculine and feminine dynamics play it out in every relationship. So when we speak about men towards women... I hope you can hear it as being the partner who is more in their masculine and the partner who is more in their feminine. And this very often has little to do with gender. In addition to that, I do want to acknowledge that men and women have completely different societal expectations in the world. And because of that, different lenses. For instance, we tell men they should man up and women they should smile more. In that sense, some of this might be gendered, but I hope for people outside of that binary perspective that they might still feel some truth in any of these stories. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Deeper with Sophie Josefina podcast. And today I am joined by Will the Rude. And Will is a certified trauma professional and an expert at things like neuroplasticity, polyvagal theory, and heart rate variability. And today we're going to have a conversation about how all of that technology actually comes to like or has a connection to things like you guessed it polarity because actually we can use especially things from polyvagal theory can use that so well in how we relate and how we move through relationships and through closures and all of that so i'm so excited to welcome will here welcome 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 thank you so much coming to everybody from ottawa canada and very glad to be here and talk about what i think is probably some of the most important topics that are not necessarily commonly talked about, but are starting to be regarding relating to other people in our nervous system. Yeah, let's uh, let's geek out on polyvagal theory. Before we get started, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're building? Of course, we introduced you briefly, but I'm sure there's much more to you. Yeah, so <clears throat> I am a coach. I started as a coach always loved helping people and I took a million different angles at doing it over time 
And uh, one thing that just really started to stick was the nervous system because I saw people get results. Of course, myself get results. I'm a little bit, you know, biased towards that. If I'm getting a result with something, I'm like, okay, I should probably start sharing this. So personal development helped. Uh, I really wanted to help people with like meditation and mindfulness at a certain point. And that was sort of the approach and the angle. And now really focusing on the nervous system and personal development and mindfulness, but all together, all together for a package for people that uh, helps us look at the way that we relate, the way that we experience our bodies and ourselves, but through the nervous system. And all of a sudden it opens up this whole new world or lens, or at least it did for me, where I can look at relationship dynamics. I can look at myself, how I'm responding to things. And all of a sudden I'm able to see, oh, wow. So my body's in this shutdown or survival or freeze-like state, even if it's very subtle, all of a sudden that difference has been able to help me to approach lots of things more skillfully. And also just to see clearly where other people might be stuck in terms of relationships. Um, if people are both frozen, they're both people pleasing or one person is and one person's trying to run away, fight or flight, it all gets a little bit more clear when we're looking at the nervous system, how that's influencing people, their thoughts and their behaviors. So that ultimately got me really into this. And then from there, um, I've just been running with it and people have been eating it up because it's so um, fascinating and people are, you know, tuning into my post, getting a lot of information. Sometimes it's a little bit dense. I'll share this stuff. It's, you know, kind of technical or you need a, a couple terms to understand mm -hmm. before it really clicks. And, um, but those who geek out on it, I think really get a lot and it satisfies and quenches maybe an area that they were trying to quench through something else. And then they're like, oh, well, this is actually kind of helping me get through this emotion or this relational problem. So yeah, that's the, that's the background. That's why I'm so into this. Mm, I, I'm so excited for this episode. So for people who might be newer to this, can we just give them like a, like a really like dummies, like one-on-one on what they just need to know for this, this polyvagal theory and this understanding of the nervous system that we're going to get into today? Yes. Um, let's go through the, the basics. And if you've already heard this before, you're just going to, you're just going to be soaking in what you already know. And because it's so valuable, it, it never hurts to hear it again. So <clears throat> polyvagal theory basically describes that we have three main aspects or branches to our nervous system. And each one has a different purpose and gets turned on or activated for different reasons. And most people used to think of parasympathetic and sympathetic. Mm -hmm. We have these two main branches, right? That. That's yeah. like the classical understanding. And that's what I heard all the way up through university. And it made sense, right? Like you have rest and digest, and then you have fight flight. But what Stephen Porter just discovered is that we have this third system, which is the shutdown or collapse withdrawal or numbing system, even a dissociative mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. which actually, I think, inspired my comment on your video. And that's how we connected because yes. I was talking about how men in general, right? Like, but, you know, mm -hmm. anybody can be in this, but many men get stuck in a dissociative response. And they just have this blank look in their eyes while the woman is being emotional. And they're like, uh, basically, I don't know how to process this. Yeah. And so this dissociative system 
basically makes people shut down their emotions, withdraw internally, is in a way to seek safety, in a way to deal with something that's overwhelming. Then we have, of course, the sympathetic, which is our fight or flight mode. And then lastly, the ventral vagus. So we have the dorsal vagus, which is the shutdown, and the ventral vagus, which has also been termed our social engagement circuit, um, which means it's designed to help us connect with people on an emotional, empathic level, um, in a communication level, physical touching, intimacy, all those things become opened up. And we can finally, through this part of our nervous system, really express ourselves we feel like we can really attune to other people and then they feel that back and it really snowballs a sense of safety and connection. So I like to call that for myself personally, like flow, because when you're operating from ventral Vegas, things are flowing. It's easy. You're not double thinking, whatever you're going to say. You're not second guessing. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Should I text her this? Should I not? No, you're just being yourself and things are working out naturally. And you have a sense of boundaries that come naturally from that. And yeah, so that's social engagement. And then lastly, we kind of have this blended state. Um, It's kind of the most confusing in many ways called the freeze state, right? And that's when we are trying to take some kind of an action. Our body is like, should I run? You think about if you saw a tiger, but then it's also like, wait, maybe I shouldn't because I don't want to get seen by the tiger and then get attacked. So then the body's kind of frozen waiting to take action and this manifests as a self-sabotage people get stuck they don't take the action they don't go to the gym they don't approach Mm. the person they want to meet and that perhaps their emotions are frozen their expressions are frozen their goals are frozen and so that's another tricky state that i know very well personally and lots of people i've worked with have obviously dealt with that too how's that different from the dorsal one because i I hear that we now have one that's dorsal shutdown, sympathetic, which is fight flight, kind of. Yes. Ventral, which is more the social flow state. And then there's a blended freeze state. So how's the freeze different from the dorsal? Yeah, let's talk about that. And I don't think it's absolutely clear yet um, in terms of I want to see way more like information and courses on this. Like I literally am ready to take more courses on it. But from my basic understanding, we have what's called hypofreeze and hyperfreeze. Oh, right. That makes sense. Maybe you've heard that before. So yeah. hypofreeze is collapse, right? So you think of somebody might even faint when they're overwhelmed or they just they just go completely depression mode. And then with hyperfreeze, there's tension in the body, ready mm. to take action, ready to do something, but stuck and not doing that. Like so I mentioned in the example, you're hiding behind a tree and the tiger is there. And you're like ready to run, but you're frozen. You're like not doing it. So a very subtle difference, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want to personally learn more about that as, as the next, uh, you know, few years open up, there'll be more research. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. So this is what people need to know, or is there anything else? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the <laughs> basic. Uh, and then, so basically what happens is, um, people's nervous system get encoded through early experiences, right? So that means you have things happen when you're young and obviously you're not making conscious choice to be like, oh, I should get myself into a ventral part of my nervous system or, you know, I don't feel safe right now. What can I do? Um, all of this is happening so quickly. And so if your parents are away or not present, or if there's some kind of abrupt change, a divorce, or some kind of 
traumatic or overwhelming situation, the nervous system can get primed and imprinted with one of these states, right? Or maybe even multiple. And that can set the tone for how we deal with relationships in the future and also set the tone for how we experience our life and just meeting people and doing things on the day to day. So then our nervous system has this default setting that's kind mm -hmm. of gotten printed from childhood. And what will usually keep it there is one, the way that we think and the way that we act kind of perpetuates those patterns, meaning that we, let's say that you get frozen when you public speak because of something that happened when you were very young, right? Then when you're beginning to have opportunities to public speak, you might start to get that same response. And then you will think the same thoughts. You'll have kind of self-critical thoughts and then you'll go into a similar pattern. Yeah. Now, a lot of this happens through something that's called neuroception. And I think that's a key term that people should know. Mm -hmm. I want to continue to learn more about this because there's just so much here. But basically we're perceiving things unconsciously and our body is deciding whether or not it's threatening to us and it takes an autonomic response. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you're dating somebody and they do some subtle mannerism that reminds you of your ex, okay? And you might not even consciously know that, but your body is like, my ex did this, and then they abandoned me mm. or, and then there was a fight. And so your body begins to automatically respond as if it's the same thing from the past. Yeah. And that's all happening through neuroception. So yeah, this I think is a basic understanding that could be helpful to just, you know, talk about a lot of concepts. This is really cool. So let's, let's dive right into the example of how we got to know each other. And that is, you know, and I'm sure many people will recognize this and we're, we're being a little bit uh, stereotypical here, but that that men have a tendency often to shut down and we can't reach them and we can't feel them and they're just kind of not there and they're barely responding if you ask like, hey man, what's up? And, you know, I've talked about this in other podcasts and, and somebody called it the male checkout syndrome. And and so so what's happening there if we if we would take a case like that? Yes. So, I mean, I know it's it's going to be very specific to that person, but if I yeah. paint it with a generalized brush, you're probably looking at a sense of unacknowledged emotional lack of safety. Like there's something there that that person doesn't feel safe to go there emotionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, the body takes action by shutting that down. It's like, okay. So think about a guy, right? And um, he's really young. He falls in love. And then he has a, like, I'll literally use a semi-personal, it's not, it wouldn't happen to me, it happened to somebody else. Um, so it's personal to my personal life, but I'll keep it an anonymous example. This guy falls in love, one of his first girlfriends. <clears throat> I'm so sorry that this actually happened. <laughs> and <laughs> it is so funny. And um, they break up, right? And it happens sort of like violently and abruptly. And then she starts seeing his roommate. And so then she's constantly there in the room um, across from his. 
and he can like hear them being intimate. He can like oh, experience guy. that. And it's just deeply sort of affecting him. Right. So then what happens is there's some sort of response that's like, I will never open up emotionally again, because look at what happened. Right. Right. And that person didn't necessarily have the tools to self-regulate, to separate themselves from all of what was happening. And so then the body is like in this protection mode, just don't be emotionally vulnerable. Like it's just, there's just nothing worth it about that. It was just too painful. And so <clears throat> now the body goes into this mode instead of seeking love, avoiding like vulnerability. And even if they do consciously like, oh, yeah, well, I want to have a relationship, their body's like, yes, sure, but we're not going to emotionally display anything. Or, or when it gets real, we've got to shut down and protect because we don't want that to happen again. So that would be a kind of example of how that might get formed for somebody. Yeah. And then, you know, way long after the event, somebody is not necessarily conscious of that. Yeah. And, and so they continue to operate in that way. And when things start to get real, that early formed either in childhood attachment system or that later primed attachment system that makes them feel avoidant and a little bit dorsal and dissociative disconnecting yeah. that turns on. Yeah. So let's say, uh, that happens to, to my love, to my partner. And I, I see it happening and I realize he's kind of shutting down and he's, he's freezing up a little bit. What is it that I can do knowing what we know about polyvagal theory? Is there something I can offer him in that moment? Because I love what you said, like unacknowledged lack of emotional safety, because we don't often talk about that, I think, especially when we talk about men and their experience in life. So I'd love to bring the perspective of what can I do as a partner to somebody who's moving, who I can see in front of me is, is, is moving into that. What do they actually need? Uh, this is such an important question and literally is very confusing um, personally, like when you're in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and also um, when you're seeing other people go through things, you naturally like want to help. You're like, hey, how can I help them to come out of this? Now, there's a, so many different uh, angles to it. One, for a lot of people when you start to shine the spotlight on that emotional pattern of maybe shutting down, it can almost begin to intensify it if they're not willing to go there. And so that yes. discomfort can make them go further into shutdown Yes, and even run that. away or, or all these yeah. different things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're like, okay, I want to help. But if I go right, right to the root, then somebody's like, whoa, no. Basically, yeah. I'm having this visceral response to say no. But what we do know from polyvagal theory, and this opens up, I think, um, a very powerful and important understanding, is that our nervous systems are communicating beyond what we are talking. So our nervous systems will transfer state and transfer, um, mm. you know, mirror state really too. So if I'm operating from a high ventral dominant state, meaning I'm feeling very safe, I'm feeling very comfortable, I'm feeling very social, and I'm open and I'm good, and then somebody else is shutting down, my openness can, of course, act as an invitation for that person. Mm -hmm. The more well-established I am there, 
Now, the tendency is to say, okay, I want to help this person. And then, unfortunately, we begin to dysregulate ourselves. So that means I'm getting anxiously concerned. Do you know? And this is a very subtle difference. I'm so anxiously concerned. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel good. And when I'm doing that, I'm not regulating my own nervous system because I'm so focused on you. I begin to go into perhaps my own version of a freeze or people pleasing response, my own version of a sympathetic sort of, I need to take action. I need to help this person mindset. And so what we want to do, or at least this is what I recommend to people is you turn your attention back inwards and begin to regulate yourself. And it's very challenging to do that. When you want to be helping somebody else, your mind is like them, them, them. And what you want to do is to train, to come back to you and to be very deeply established and sort of holding that ventral vagus nerve system as an invitation of safety. Oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. This is fascinating. So yeah, it's Anybody really, listening, it's let really, that sink in. <laughs> it's the biological underpinnings of like self-responsibility, really. Because yes. it's like you gotta regulate yourself. Then it kind of asks the question, why do you so badly need them to be opening up? Uh, because ultimately you have that agency, right? Of like, okay, I can come to myself. I have other relationships. I can find regulation for that. And when you're regulated, you're feeling good. And whether somebody shut down or not, you probably aren't going to be as affected by that because you're feeling established in this kind of regulation, this kind of sense of self-love. You're feeling worthy. You're feeling good. And so then if I see somebody and they're very shut down, it's like, that's, that's completely okay. And I don't feel this like, yeah, I don't feel like this pressure to change them. But um, yeah, that's not necessarily easy. Um, I know from myself, my mind gets just so fixated on somebody else when I'm in a dysregulated state. And it makes me want to make them feel better because then if they feel better, I can feel better. <laughs> And yeah. so then I have this, like, I'm looking through, I'm looking for co-regulation through that relationship, meaning that I want to find both of our nervous systems to regulate together because I'm not feeling regulated. They're not feeling regulated. And so I'm seeking that, which is good and healthy and normal. But if it's not happening, what I need to do is either to self-regulate in some way or to find another co-regulatory relationship it can be a friend, family, it can be anybody or if the relationship might not just be good for you, meaning that that person is shut down, you're ready to connect. And it's kind of just keeping things at a standstill. So they're not ready to go to the level of intimacy that you're looking for. So this is reminding me of a, of a book I read, Scattered Minds from Gabor Mate. Do you know it? I don't know this, this one specifically. It's this really good book. It's about ADHD and, and, and Gabor sees it much more from the perspective of that ADHD happens because we weren't attuned to as children. And he then in the, in the end part of the book describes all these things for new parents on what that actually means, you know, what that means to be emotionally attuned to your child. And honestly, he writes pretty much those chapters to me are about what emotional intelligence actually is, because he says exactly this of, you might see your child having a temper tantrum and you are there with them, but you're not in it with them. So the child doesn't have to regulate their tantrum for your comfort. 
because that's what happens in people with ADHD. That's often the upbringing that they had is that they felt like, oh, when I am upset, it upsets mom. So I have to make sure my nervous system is okay because then mom's nervous system is okay. So they have to be aware of way too many nervous systems at the same time. When the healthy thing is, is that we sense that somebody's with us, but not in it with us. And so exactly what you're describing, they see you shutting down. They don't necessarily need you to fix the shutting down to feel better. And that's when you can actually focus on yourself. And I thought that was such a beautiful perspective and such a cool way of looking at this because this is really a skill we, we don't talk about enough. And I'm so glad it's coming up here. Yeah. So I'm I love that. Yeah, yeah I love that. Um, yeah, just it really reminds me of, um, you know, if you're if you're really dedicated to, and I, I just like this term because I think that mm -hmm. people throw it around, but like doing the work, right? You're really mm -hmm. dedicated to doing the work for yourself, right? Then what you'll know without a shadow of a doubt is that, that you shut down too. Nobody doesn't shut down or hasn't ever shut down. We all have these parts of our nervous system. So then you'll, if you see somebody else shutting down, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it totally happens. Like I get it. Like, and I get it because I've seen myself do it. And I've kind of learned to move through that. And, and not always does it happen instantly. Sometimes it takes days or weeks. And yeah. well, we move through. And you and you know that about yourself. So then when you see somebody else, it's like it's not that big a deal because you've you've taken a look at that same sort of process in yourself. And it's not something that has to change right away. Um, like I shut down, I freeze, I get stressed, I have panic attacks, I've had panic attacks. You know what I'm saying? I'm like I've, I've, all of this stuff has happened to me. So if I see somebody else having a panic attack, I'm now more inclined to be like, oh my God, what was it about this time? Like, I want to like just connect and be like, because I have them too. I've had it too. And, and then that paradoxically creates this sense of safety of like, oh, it's totally okay to feel that. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, um, yeah, I was having a panic attack because I thought that uh, the medication I took was going to kill me okay well then then you can connect on whatever that thing is and connect on that state so on the, I hope the that same, makes sense if, yeah 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 so in the same situation of 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 somebody shutting down let's say you're the person shutting down and you notice it happening yeah. and i've been there you what were we just talking about we've all been there um and i know how powerless that sometimes can feel because i can i don't know see my partner he wants to reach out to me he wants to connect to me and i'm just kind of frozen and and i, mm -hmm. I might from the outside look a bit grumpy what can I do within myself? What's the thing I can ask for? Or what's the thing that I can do as an active step myself when I'm the person that is shutting down? Yeah, so this is, it's kind of confusing because when people shut down, they usually lose sense of yeah. what they need mm -hmm. or desire to feel safe. So if you ask somebody who's shut down, hey, what do you think that you need to feel safe right now? Usually they'll be like, I don't know. That's yeah. the problem. Said that many times. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they actually don't know yeah. because, you know, the prefrontal cortex has um, officially gone offline or semi-offline. The amygdala is overwhelmed with some kind of emotion. The nervous system is beginning to numb out sensations in the body from that dorsal vagus circuit. The information is not flowing. Their body signals are not coming up and being interpreted correctly by the brain to know what they need. So they literally, on a neurobiological level, they don't know. Oh, they yeah. literally do not know. 
So what I think is really helpful is to have some sort of a plan or a strategy, something that you already know, you know what, when I shut down, this does work for me is, you know, feeling close to somebody and, or just feeling comfortable. Like, how can I get comfortable? And so then you have a couple of these things, perhaps it's soothing sensations, smells, comforts. Um, perhaps it's a certain friend who you know you tend to open up with when you're shut down and it tends to sort of help you through your process. Then you have that stuff clear written down somewhere or in your mind, but better off written down because you'll probably forget it when you're in that moment. And then you're able to, to let's say your partner's asking, okay, what do you need? Saying, well, like, I really can't feel what I need intuitively right now. But what I do know is that when I've been shut down before, that uh, sometimes talking with insert friend's name and, you know, spending some time um, really just resting and whatever the other things are, that that's helped me before. And then they can hear that and they can say, well, okay, maybe I can help support you to receive those things. Right. Right? But that's a self-responsibility piece because we kind of did some work, meaning to know what we might need later. And most people don't do that. And then when they shut down, they have no idea what they need. And then their partner is kind of just taking stabs at it. And then it's like, could get worse, could be better. I mean, not everybody's a super intuitive, uh, body aware, emotionally attuned, like able to sense, okay, this person just needs this. You know what I mean? Like not everybody has that. And even me, let's say I have that sometimes, I don't have that all the time. Because sometimes I'll be a little bit in my own stuff and I can't see clearly what somebody else needs or might might require to feel safe. So yeah, having a clear understanding of what would support you and um, and then hoping that your partner can be very emotionally attuned to be able to just meet you there. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You follow Yeah, that? absolutely. Yeah, so for me, that's definitely... And my partner knows this, but to be hugged and squished, like <laughs> just be, <laughs> need to feel like body weight. And then usually I, I, I tend to drop a little bit more into my body and sense my body more. And then from there it's easier, but it's usually that. And I'll, and I'll tell him that I don't want him to touch me, which is the very odd thing. So that, you don't want him to touch you, but you desire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so tricky. It's so <laughs> tricky. Um, I'm yeah. similar with, one of my last partners, what we would do is we would just lie like flat on top of each other, yeah, exactly. like a pancake. Yeah. And, uh, and that pressure could be really regulating and, yeah. uh, and yeah, you're just close to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and so what about in the case when, um, and again, I'm going to be super stereotypical here, but it's on the feminine side oh. and, and I will own that. I also do this a lot, but it's, it's when we drown in our emotions, you know, when we're just completely, utterly dysregulated in, in an emotional state. So it's not a freeze or a shutdown. It is a, I don't even know which category this falls, but yeah, maybe try and give a specific example just so we can get really real about the details of the nervous system. So like what might the emotion look like, like jealousy or like, um, just like hot and cold. Like how, how is this flowing? In, um, in this let's say he, um, he didn't text her back. And then she got very upset. And then when she saw him again, she's just very upset that he didn't text her back. Okay. And, and is she she seeking connection or is she, she is seeking connection. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And is there sort of like a combative dynamic? Probably, yeah. 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 So it's coming out as, yeah, as so this angry sounds, and, and yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a sympathetic nervous system part. Okay. And the right. reason why I want to identify it mm -hmm. is because when you know what part of your nervous system is being activated, you can you can take action in accordance with that. You can resource that state. But at the same time, too, you understand that every nervous system tells a different story. Yeah. In the sympathetic nervous system, there is uh, seeing the other as the enemy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the dorsal yeah. vagus nervous system, it is I am numb to the other. Oof. And in the ventral vagus nervous system of safety and connection, it's I am trusting and connected to the other. Got it. Yeah. So when we know that every nervous system tells a different story, and you're able to see, well, I'm literally perceiving the other as the enemy. Yeah. Then we're able to sort of be, we're able to say, okay, ding, ding, ding. That's an indicator that I'm in a sympathetic mode. Yeah. And what I'll tell you is that you're probably not going to solve a problem in the sympathetic mode because your prefrontal cortex is compromised. You're not really thinking clearly. You mean you just aren't. And so there's still a way to be in those emotions and to honor those emotions, have it be juicy and be flavorful without necessarily just directing it at that other person or to just try and find this resolution with this anxiety along the way. And, um, and that involves like tending to your nervous system and, and really realizing, wow, so I'm operating from this sympathetic place. I'm perceiving him as an enemy. And so what I'm going to do and this is so challenging to get people to actually do, including myself, is I am going to focus on regulating first. Mm -hmm. So I regulate first. Now, can I regulate through this connection? Probably not right now because I'm perceiving them as the enemy. So if I'm right. approaching it, I might dysregulate further. So what will I do? I always say co-regulation and self-regulation in equal measure, which means that you have tools, you have things that you know help you to feel you know, safe, comfortable in your body. You use those things. And then you also reach out to other people who you can find some common ground with and regulate through that. And sometimes we're literally just one night away with a friend, with a group of friends from being super duper regulated. You ever think of like a party or a gathering or something you went to and you just felt by the end of the night, like, wow, like I feel so good. Like it was <laughs> such a great night with everybody. <laughs> then that all happened within a few hours of just connecting and, and all your worries got sort of washed yeah. away. Yeah. And the ventral vagus nerve just started to become dominant. So you're, you're beginning to shift your attention to self-regulate and to co-regulate rather than perpetuate that dysregulation through the confrontation that you're having with this person. And the reason this is specifically so challenging for men, women, or anybody is because when you're in the sympathetic nervous system, it kind of hijacks our RAS, which is our reticular activating system, mm -hmm. to hyper-focus on the yes. threat. Yes. So your mind has such a hard time not thinking about that threat, that dynamic, that confront confrontation, that fight, that person. The entire thing is glued to the front of your brain and you can't take it off your mind. It's so hard 
and you know this to, yeah it, <laughs> it's it so like. <laughs> friggin' hard to not yeah. think about yeah oh my god i can't believe they did this i can't believe they said this yeah. i can't believe they didn't message me back i can't believe it. i can't believe it. and it's like it won't unstick and uh, this is for a very good reason, because when we perceive threat, you think of the tiger example, it's the classic example, you want to be focused on the tiger, because if you lose track of where it is, you're not safe. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you have to know, okay, it's right there. Okay. Oh, oh no, it's over there. It went in hiding behind the bush. And you're like, you're hyper-focused on that threat. So the mind doesn't want to let go. It thinks that this is the best thing it can be doing with your resources and it hijacks your dopamine, meaning it gives you a weird pleasure off of focusing on the thing that's threatening and uncomfortable and dangerous, which is dysregulating your nervous system. It's saying, this is kind of good. You want to be doing this. And so then when you're doing that, what you're not doing is you're definitely not regulating your state because you're thinking about this thing that's kind of making you feel worse and you're hyper looping on it. So instead, what we do is we, we pull back okay, how can I fit, tend to my nervous system? Maybe I'll talk to my friend. You're like, and, and a lot of time, as soon as you start to do this, you'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that feels good. That feels good. And you're like, wow. I mean, and then you might start to think of the person and you'll be like, but I really want, and you're like, okay, but, you know, this feels good. I'm going to connect. I'm going to give myself a night. Yeah. I'm going to take it off my mind because I'm not going to solve it by thinking about it on loop for two hours. If anything, I might make it more confusing to myself, more complex. So then you get regulated. And then a lot of the time for people, as soon as they get regulated, it's kind of like problem solved yeah. because they're like, well, I feel good now. And then you go and talk to that person in a trusting mood, right? And then they're like, honestly, because you come with that trusting connection energy, they're like able to admit their shortcoming, perhaps. They're able to, to ask for forgiveness or they're able to just communicate openly that, hey, like it literally was not personal. Like my um, friend was on the phone with me talking about something they were doing. And you're like, wow, yeah. I thought it was super personal to me that you didn't message me back. And then we're able to receive it in a way where it's not so personal and we're feeling safe and comfortable and we can find connection through that. So yeah, tending to your nervous system first is what I would say. So I, uh, I have a... Um... I used to have a more anxiously attached system. So I, I would have this hyper focus obsession, like why haven't they texted me back and, you know, checking my phone every two minutes. And, and just that was the only thing I could think of. And one of the rules I, I created for myself when I had a nervous system that was very much in that, in that zone was whenever I wanted to text something and I had the thought of, oh my God, I should really text them that. That's when I shouldn't. The more I felt like that's what I should text, the more I knew that I had to wait. The higher my righteousness, the more I had to wait. And I knew I would have to wait probably a day and exactly do this. Go hang out with a girlfriend, sit in the park, whatever, go for a walk. Just do something like that so that it could settle down. And now I know, like every, because every time I've sent a text from that energy, I've always regretted it a few hours later when I thought, wait, that's not actually what I meant at all. That was just, I was activated as hell. And so now you're totally right. It is, it is often about this, like taking time and space and a bit of social interaction that's outside of this person that you are having this activation with. It's often that simple of just, okay, let me just get a coffee with a friend and then uh, it can settle down a little.
Yeah, I can. I love your example, and it also makes me think of uh, like commenting and how people will comment with a sympathetic charge, and you can feel it in everything they wrote, right? Yes. And and what does it do? It usually makes the person want to comment back on the other side and throw that dodgeball back and get into their sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And in the same way that you sometimes take that time for yourself, I've definitely had to train myself to not uh, respond to these sort of a dysregulated nervous system comments where somebody is like just angrily disagreeing with you. I know I'm not going to change their mind yeah. by angrily disagreeing with them. That is not how it works. And so I've had to basically have a similar rule like you being like, I don't respond to that. And, and not because I don't like that person, but it's just that, um, that energy won't get us anywhere. And also yeah. maybe if they just have that comment, they use that energy and they didn't, let's say, get a response, then they just have to sit with that feeling now. Right. And, and that's okay. You go sit with that feeling and then maybe they'll be like, sorry, I was a little overboard after. Yeah. And so, yeah, having these rules for yourself to, basically you know keep a boundary around like not um getting super engaged in these dynamics that are unhealthy can be very very important and tending to your nervous system when you're feeling your res hyper focus on that person to begin to realize okay there's some dysregulation going on here within me because when i'm regulated i won't be hyper focused and fixating on this person even if something challenging happened i'm gonna be a bit more accepting and trusting and i think what you mentioned too is like go having a night with your girlfriends or whatever can be really helpful and especially if you're able to put that situation aside for a bit meaning that the mind can kind of uncouple from that nervous system pattern and you just focus on something else and that's okay you know a lot of times people think oh i have to sit with this 24 7 and that can be a weird way to stay dysregulated. But like, you know what, I'll put it aside and I'll come back in a form of self-compassion when I feel ready. And for now, I'm going to focus on regulating, having a good time. And then, like I mentioned, a lot of time we'll go back to it and you're like, oh yeah, it's not that big a deal now that I feel good. You're like, wow, I really thought it was a big deal. Yeah. And like, it felt so big because my nervous system was in this big response. There's another state I've been so curious to ask you about because I, I don't understand how to how to fit it into the system and I, I honestly don't fully get what happens in the nervous system. And you mentioned it briefly and that's the one of fawning and people pleasing. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because it's so fascinating and I think so many yeah. people have this. Oh, this is like <laughs> this is like my, like freeze and fawn are my new favorite sort of uh, areas I want to go into because of how common and how unacknowledged and how um, confusing it can be. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, the free state and the fawn state are very similar in that when you're frozen, um, it can have multiple manifestations. I gave the example of hiding behind a tree and there's a tiger over there. You know, the fawn state was specifically named the fawn state because of a baby deer, a fawn what it will do if it is attacked, let's say by a bear or something, is it will not fully play dead. It will be there, but it will kind of just go along with what the bear is doing. Meaning that the bear might be playing around with it. The bear's just like 
kind of ripping it up, but it's not it's not dead or anything. It's just literally just like it's getting gouged, it's getting attacked, and it's just kind of there being like, okay, okay, and just in this freeze. But it's not like hiding. It's going along with what the bear is sort of leading. The bear might carry it around, and the bear might even let go of the baby deer. Sometimes they do this. They play with their prey, right? And the baby deer will still stay there and be like, okay, you know what I mean? I'm giving it a, a narrative. It's like, okay, this is fine. I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, like, and 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 then the bear is like having this full control over this um, baby deer. And of course, the nervous system is wanting to have the deer run away, but it knows if it runs away, it could be okay. That's the end. And then the bear kills the prey. So it knows that okay, if I run away, that could be dangerous. So I'm just gonna go along, right? And Please the bear. You know, I'm going to be a people pleaser in this way, but a deer as the example. So what happens, I believe, in the fawn state is that people's emotions, their desires, their needs, their boundaries all get frozen because it's unsafe to express any of those things. And that mm -hmm. could result in termination of the relationship. That could result in emotional violence. That could result in confrontation. They're not ready. Their nervous system doesn't feel prepared for and so that when it happens is all these things get frozen, these desires, um, oh, they really desire to like do this thing in my career, but I know my partner would not approve. So I'm frozen in this people pleasing. I'm just going to do what would please them yeah. or whatever the thing is, right? So all these things get frozen and this person's kind of just going along with what other people want. And uh, usually what happens is they become hyper alert, hyper fixated on is that other person pleased? If yeah. the baby deer is like focused, is the bear okay? Is the bear going to lash out? Because that could mean, you know, more pain. That could mean more deaths. Yeah. And so then when they're doing that, of course, they're not tending to their own nervous system. So each state serves a purpose in that it has a functional role in a real survival situation, meaning there's actually sort of life and death. There's actually something happening where you could be, you know, incredibly harmed these these states have a purpose the problem is that our body will neurocept that meaning that it tells us that's what's happening when it's not necessarily true meaning that you're not gonna die if you tell your partner that you desire xyz or that you need more space or that this or that whatever the thing is you're not everything's gonna be fine but your body's perceiving that confrontation would be too overwhelming. And so we're going to just go along with, you know, this for now. Can I share a story on this one, a personal one? Oh yeah, would love so it. It's, it's a bit of a triggering story. I will say that for anybody listening, but this was how I, I had never heard of fawning and, and I, I did not understand what was happening with me at the time, but I was in a, I was in a train, like in it, like on a train ride. And I was the only person in, in that train carriage and a man joined me there and started touching himself inappropriately. And I was in my early twenties and I was a ballsy lady at the time. I had a big mouth. Like I was one of the loudest people in a room. And so I thought of myself that if anybody would ever be inappropriate around me, I would like smack them in the face and walk out of the room. And he started doing that. And I noticed that I froze, but it wasn't just a freezing. It was that I became extremely preoccupied of the on the on whether he was comfortable. Because I thought if I get up and he sees me being disgusted at him, he's gonna become violent. 
right? If I do something that makes him uncomfortable, he's going to get violent. So I have to smile. I have to be nice. And I sat there the full 25 minutes and did nothing but smile and be kind because I was so obsessed with that he needed to stay comfortable even though he was, you know, like doing something that was really not okay for my comfort. Yes. <laughs> and eventually he just got up and left and every, that was the end, that was all the hat where all that, of course, it, it was very uncomfortable for me to experience that, but it was so interesting. I was so obsessed with whether he was okay while he was the perpetrator. And I was like, what? I remember him leaving from that carriage and just sitting there thinking, what did I just do? This is not me at all. It was so fascinating. And now, of course, I know fawning and it comes in, it comes, of course, in people's nervous system in much, much smaller um, ways. And, and, and just as important of just, you know, saying sorry when somebody bumps into you or smiling when somebody's aggressive to you or whatever, right? Like that, that fawning shows up in so many ways where, we're, where we stay nice instead of probably creating more conflict with our disagreement. And so I've, I find it a fascinating state, especially fascinating to start recognizing it because I think, especially actually in women, it's hard to recognize what a fawn is and what is just you being nice, right? Oh, I love your story because it makes it super duper real and just, yeah, like real people, real situations. Also like when you're young, you don't necessarily know about this stuff. So thanks for sharing that comfortably. Um, even though that was a challenging thing that happened. Mm. I can think of another example of um, when this happened not even that long ago for me. Um, I was aware that somebody had a different opinion than me on something. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay to disagree. Like, I'm, I'm okay to do that. But what I saw them do was very interesting. I saw them agree with me, even though I knew that they didn't agree with me. And I was yeah. kind of weirded out by that. I'm like, no, I, I would rather you just express your opinion. And now I feel weird. You're just agreeing with me. That. Yeah, you're just agreeing with me because I'm uh, here. Like, I'm not going to like pick a fight mm -hmm. if we have a different opinion on this. And I could mm -hmm. tell the thing that they were agreeing to was out of character for them. And I'd almost prefer that they be authentically, you know, and disagree or or to have a partial disagreement or whatever. But I noticed that they just were they they ended up saying something and when they said that thing it was like so out of character for them it was like so just not they wouldn't say that to anybody else but they thought that that's what i believed and it's actually not truly what i believed yeah. so they said the thing thinking that i believed that too and i kind of just watched the whole thing and i wasn't going to sort of poke at it in that moment but that's what a lot of us do right is yeah. we don't feel safe and probably in in some cases for good reason um, there's a lot of uh, violent polarization in the world. And so people just don't want to poke that. Um, but then it can end up affecting us in situations where we actually are safe. Yeah. You actually can have a different opinion here. We're okay with that. And, and then still you're like, oh, no, no, I believe whatever you believe. Okay, but do you know what I believe? No, but I believe it. The same thing. <laughs> So how do you recognize fawning in your body? Like, like what's like a telltale sign that you're in a fawning state? So very similar to freeze. What mm -hmm. um, and uh, and um, 
how the sympathetic nervous system goes into stage two and the dorsal system turns on, we begin to feel immobilized to some capacity stuck. Right. Is that stuckness happening mm. physically sometimes? Like you were physically frozen when that guy was doing what he was mm -hmm. doing, right? Um, I imagine so. You you probably didn't get up and do anything. You were literally yeah, no, physically I, frozen. I could not move. Yeah. Yeah. But also emotionally and expressively. So yeah. you couldn't say anything either. No. So there's some kind of like emotional stuckness. Um, uh, there's some sort of communication freeze. And sensations that go along with freeze will often be experienced as contraction in your body or in the unfortunate case that there's a little bit of a dissociative like um, situation going on, you won't even be able to feel that you're contracted in your body because yeah. you just won't be able to feel your body. And so there's kind of this removed sense and you might just feel, you know, tense or you might just feel um, discomfort, but you're not aware of where there's any contractions or density or sensations or, or anything like that in your body. You're just kind of feeling the situation's overwhelming you and this is what's happening and you're not connecting to what your body is telling you. So you know, the body can show it in a lot of different ways. I think in a big way for, for fawning, there is this just overwhelming fixation on other people, other yeah. people and their um, state. And this, this for a lot of us can be happening obviously unconsciously. So if you think of a partner, right? You have a partner and you're constantly aware, are they mad? Are they mad? Could they be mad soon? Yeah. Could they be mad soon? Um, was that a little bit of an indication that they could have a meltdown or blow up? And then mm -hmm. you're constantly just trying to monitor that. And while you're monitoring that, I'll tell you, there's no way you can monitor all that and also monitor and self-regulate and tend to yourself. It's just, it's too much you to do both. So you're monitoring this other person, you're monitoring their state to see if, you know, how they're doing. And you're constantly kind of just, if, if you want to think of it as a visual thing, you're like kind of looking, you're looking to that person to check and see um, how they are. You can even think of it like this. Um, <clears throat> let's say you're in a group. Does that person, um, when they're called upon to speak, do they look to their partner first to kind of be like, is it okay? Is it okay that I say this is it okay that i step into sharing and so they're constantly in reference not to themselves as the final arbiter or person of agency but does my partner agree or condone or is pleased with what i'm about to do and so if they're uncertain it'll default to is my partner please and then they'll they'll come back so i think an easier way to tell this is through your behaviors through where your mind is at because you might not be feeling the body in some of these freeze or dorsal states. You might be kind of not feeling the sensation so fully. So you're noticing your mind doing that, then that's a good indication that your body is maybe partially or intermittently going into this response, or maybe even fully, you're kind of just operating from that um, in a subtle way almost all the time. And so then we can begin to address that and we can begin to look at um, you know, how can I bring my attention back to my body, back to tending to my state? And uh, oftentimes you're an evening away or a couple days away, like just spending some time with some friends, resetting, focusing on things that you care about from feeling way more ventral dominant. Um, maybe not fully, but maybe way more to the point that you're like, wow, 
I feel way more comfortable to share what I want to share now without constantly checking my partner. And that, that difference is so big that once you feel more regulated, you might have that internal reference point of like, oh, this is better. <laughs> and then you're like, and you're like, that didn't feel good. And then when you notice yourself starting to do that, you're like, okay, I need to do things for me again. And you can use that as a, a pointer to come back into, into, you know, tend to your state, resource yourself with whatever tools you might have. Everybody has different things. Um, for some person, it could be reading, it could be learning a language, it could be soothing sensations, it could be bath, it could be friends, it could be massage, it could be cranial sacral, it could be meditating, it could be literally anything, but your body is unique, so it's going to have things that it responds uniquely to, and you want to find out what you feel best doing in it. Not from a place of, I should do this because other people told me that this will help, but instead from a place of, you know what, I, I tend to respond well to this. And that's always been true. Huh. So maybe this thing is, is a good resource for me. And then we use those things and we, we develop a relationship with our nervous system that supports us to feel safe again and to become more ventral and regulated. Hmm. So beautiful. I, I, at the beginning, you spoke about the, the, I think the dorsal was that, you know, for a lot of people that might show up as like, um, what's it called as procrastination as just not really showing up for everything. Was this the dorsal? Was this the free state? Wait, um, dorsal and freeze can be the same for sure on that. It gets kind of confusing because they have similar aspects, right? Like hypo freeze, hyper freeze. So you, you'll be probably more. Yeah. Um, the reason the hyperfreeze uh, can be extra tricky is because people want, they want yes, to do the action. Exactly that. But yes. they can't, right? Yes. So that's why freeze and fawn are in that kind of category. You're like, mm -hmm. you wanted to say something to that guy. You wanted to be like, yeah. that is so inappropriate. I'm going to call the police yeah. or I don't know. You wanted yeah. to say something, but yes. you, could, you couldn't do it. Yeah. And whereas in hypofreeze, we almost revert into this hopelessness or collapse, the shutdown state, right? And so then the urge to even change is like, well, I've fully given up. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's where d depression can kind of come online. And you might just feel like um, you're avoiding your responsibilities, but you don't even care anymore about doing them. You know, you have this goal of going to the gym. In hyper freeze, you're, you're thinking, oh my God, I should be doing it. I'm like, why am I not doing it? And you're like trying to get yourself to do it. You can't. In hypofreeze, you just like are not doing it. And it's almost like you're just numb to that now. So I think a lot of people in the pandemic especially have got a lot of the hyperfreeze of I want to do the thing and it's just not working. Why why is it not working? What what is what's like the the because I hear a lot of these resourcing things, but what's like the main thing that they need? Because I, I'm sure many people listening to this will think, Yep, that's me right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean I wish that there was like one thing Golden. that I could just <laughs> tell people and be like, oh, if you just hold your breath for seven seconds and then exhale for 10, then all of a sudden it'll, no, I wish there was a thing <laughs> like that. Um, but the thing is, and this is a beautiful thing and also a challenge, is that everyone's nervous system is unique and will respond to different things differently. And so what that means in the challenging side is that you gonna have to get to know yourself and your body and your nervous system and you're gonna have to get to know what you respond well to but on the positive side 
you will develop a relationship with yourself that is skillful and that is you know custom to you and it will be rewarding and fulfilling and enriching in a way that just having a band-aid approach of, oh just do this technique will never be for you can i that share a story sense. about that yeah yeah i um so i'm somebody i i get easily overwhelmed i'm a highly sensitive person of adhd i'm an introvert so i i get quickly overwhelmed and just need to be alone so i i, I have the the hyper freeze a lot procrastination all of that what i like i, I love what you're talking about but getting to know your own nervous system i realized and it, it took me all of my 20s to accept this about myself but that I recharge and come back into that flow state because that's the signal, right? Like I come back into that gorgeous flow, happy, connected state when I spend a day completely by myself. And when there is no meetings and nothing that is required of me, that's when I get back to that state. When it's just me in my house and, and I think the English word is pottering around. I just do that for a day. And then I'm there again. And it's in exactly this. It's recognizing and, and, and starting to take note of, hey, you might be at a party and afterwards feel that. Somebody else might have it spending time in nature or surfing or whatever. And then they felt that. I feel it when I, I got the house to myself and there's nobody here. No meetings, no calls, not touching my phone all day and just me moving a cup of tea around. And then by the end of the day, I'm back in that zone again. And you're right. And you're you're also helping me to realize that when I have a few of those days in a row where I realize that I want to do things and it's not really working, that I get to plan a version of nothing day. <laughs> I love that. And that's actually where I wanted to go with everything oh, I was so talking about. Counterintuitively, okay? Um, because I'm just, you know, I wanted to set the stage with, with what I was just saying that, okay, everybody's different, blah, 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 blah. But let's talk about what something that I've noticed. So this is anecdotal, personal experience. You also just kind of verified it. And I've noticed this with a lot of people. And the term that I'm going to use for this is, um, this is specifically, I think, for freeze and fawn to be very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I use the term conscious rest. And the reason for that is that many people who are in a free state, um, there's this inability or unwillingness to take rest and when they do so there's this feeling of guilt and so when you're yeah. guilty and you're resting that's not rest you're yeah. kind of actually yeah. in tension yeah. yeah yeah you're you're in a tension mode of guilt and yeah. hypercriticism and all of that and that's not resting yeah. Yeah. so the term that i use is conscious rest and you can definitely do that on your own for a lot of people that will be uh, helpful let's say that their nervous system um when they're on their own finds a um a pattern of of feeling like unintruded on and it just begins to go ventral then that's great now so for other people they go by themselves and their guilt is just so overwhelming or their sensations yeah. and so then they end up the entire day you're supposed okay rest day rest day and then they're mm -hmm. there being like i should be doing this i should be doing this the entire day and so then for them it doesn't necessarily help so whatever way you can find conscious rest where that's by yourself if perhaps that's your bent and that makes you feel better in the self-regulatory way or if it's with conscious rest with other people that can also be very very mm. helpful in a co-regulatory way I i'll give an example can you have a day where you're just lounging on the couch with some friends and you're really or a spa or something where you feel just safe to relax 
And what that tells the body, it tells the body, you don't have to be constantly consumed with what other people are thinking. You don't have to be um, doing things. So it can ease that sympathetic nervous system. And it can begin to allow the body to know there's not these a million things you have to do or else you're going to die. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to, you know, send all the emails right now. You're not going to die if you don't do it. And so the, the world can wait and you can spend some time with yourself or with some other people in this conscious state of rest. And I've seen that personally to be very effective for freeze for me. Um, sometimes I'm as 20 minute nap, lie down away from a little reset. You know what I mean? It doesn't take yeah. that long sometimes, or maybe it's a whole day. Um, but it has to be guilt free. Yeah. Meaning that I have to want the rest fully for the rest's sake. Yeah. And it also has to be um, not for the sake of so that I get regulated right away and so i can go do all the things <laughs> again because if you're doing it for that then you're constantly going to be assessing am i rested enough to go do the things and then that might cause some tension in the body and so you really want to rest just for the rest sake because your body actually probably needs that and um and that's the key that i give to anybody here i, mean, I put this in my story on instagram yesterday usually in the freezer fawn state people actually are quite drained and the reason for that is because when your sympathetic nervous system is telling you to do something and your dorsal your dorsal vagus is telling you to not do that thing both of the survival systems are online and that takes a lot of energy mm. that is wow. very draining to to have your sympathetic with all the cortisol pumping and then the dorsal system is saying no put on the brakes it's like literally the gas and the brakes on at the same time Yes. And your car is just, it's just spazzing out, right? So normally, and people don't, um, including myself, we become unaware of how deeply we are drained, we are tired, and we truly need to slow down and to rest. And so that can be very challenging for people to do is to take that conscious rest. Um, but often what you'll find myself personally, and you just confirmed it, is after you do take that rest day or that nothing day, that you'll find you were like, wow, I really needed that rest way more than I was aware of. Yeah. I was trying to keep doing things. I wasn't even doing them. And now I feel like I can do things. Yeah. I really did need that rest. And if you think about it on the physiological level, your body needs some time to flush out the cortisol from your bloodstream. It literally needs time for these processes to happen on a hormonal level. It needs time to switch over from the tension state to the relaxed, calm, and connected state. It needs time for the nervous system to switch. And all of those, you know, um, cortisol, perhaps um, overwhelming uh, amounts of estrogen, perhaps your blood sugar gets off, all of these things begin to happen. And your body needs this literal, literally chemical hormonal time to process those metabolites, to process those things, to clear the bloodstream, and then you can begin to feel good again. But to take that time, you need to rest, and you need to like kind of take that off of your mind and really focus on the rest for that period. That makes sense. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I had a two-year-long burnout, and I think it took me a year and a half to realize that as long as I was resting but tolerating the rest and feeling shitty about it, I wasn't recovering. And it was only in the last few months, that's how I came out of it, was that I started 
I call it from tolerating to celebrating, I was completely wishing myself that rest time. I was like, yeah, of course I need to rest. I've worked so hard my entire life and my body's just done and I get to enjoy this day and I get to do whatever I want with this day. And if I do nothing, I am still just a completely cool person and whatever. I, I, it, it was really the shift from, oh my God, I guess I have to sleep more to, mm, I get to do nothing today. And it's so, I, it's so well-wished or something. And I, I think that's such an important distinction that you're talking about now, because I think a lot of people will recognize the state where the brakes and the gas are on at the same time. And we're actually not really doing anything, but we're completely depleting ourselves. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, like, really funny. You think about yeah, it. Yeah, we're like, why am I so tired? I don't get it. I haven't done much. But in, internally, there's just these two opposing forces that say do nothing and you need to be doing everything. And then a rest day doesn't exactly. register as rest. A rest day actually is even more draining. And so the... The skill is really to to celebrate and wish yourself your rest time instead of tolerate it and think, oh, my God, I guess I have to. Yeah, I think we could go really briefly into a topic that might be interesting for anybody who's an entrepreneur. Um, I imagine some people might be in that realm or, or desiring to be to yeah. listen to this. And um, and that because this is very important, I think. When it comes to the entrepreneurial context of like, you're trying to, you, you said it so well, doing nothing, but wanting or trying to do everything. Yeah. And, uh, and then you end up, of course, kind of scattered, you know, very much ADHD type mm -hmm. situation, your, your resources, your thoughts, your attention is just everywhere. And you're not necessarily finishing any one task anyhow. And how that is a common situation that a lot of people have. And I've personally had to do this reframe. I'm sure that you can relate to this. Like it's possible for me to make money without trying yeah. or without forcing. Yeah. And, um, and some of my clients have had this result too. Um, they began to focus on their nervous system. So, okay, I'll take some rest. I'll do some things for me. I'll regulate myself. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you can validate that you've had this type of experience. They start getting attention on their business. They start getting attention and, and they're able to receive that attention. It doesn't feel like a threat. Like, Oh my God, I got to answer this person. Like, will they work with me? Will they not? Instead you're receiving it more so as like, wow, there's these opportunities. I'm literally not even doing anything though. And then you kind of get weirded out by it. And then you're like, okay. And so I've seen, Personally, I'm thinking one of my clients, um, her business improved dramatically, like exponentially by focusing on her nervous system. Because I think when you do show up, finally, now you're coming from a place of social connection and you're coming from a place of regulation and people feel that because social connection and regulation is where people want to go you think of a party, I think most people will go, would you go to the depressed people in the basement? Just naturally, if you're thinking going by instincts, would you go to the people fighting on the roof? Or would you go to the main floor where everybody's connecting, sharing, laughing, playing? We naturally go towards ventral vagal um, connection, social engagement. It's just, it's a reflex that people do because we just feel like, oh, that's where the good energy is. That's where I want to be. That's where the sharing is. That's where, where I'm, it's going to rub off on me and I'm going to share too. It's going to be a good time. So when you take that time for yourself, you regulate, I think it makes you more attractive, more magnetic, 
and and uh, people can feel that and there's almost this this sort of spooky element where it seems like it would backfire but it doesn't it actually ends up working well it ends up working better than you would think uh, so I wanted to put that out there for anybody who might be thinking, okay, sure, conscious rest, but I have a million things to do. Play with it, okay? Just play with it. I'm not <laughs> telling you to force force nothing. Just play with it, maybe as an idea first, and just see see if you're able to let yourself go there. Because personally, myself, um, I will get into phases where I will maybe be trying to do a million things, doing nothing. And then I just start to see this isn't working. And I'll literally say to myself, I'm going to delete Instagram. I'm going to just, I, I've done this a couple times now. I'm like, I'm just going to delete it. <laughs> um, like clearly what's happening is just not working. I need a break. It could be a day, could be a week, whatever. I delete the app. And then a day and a half later, I'm like, you know what? I feel pretty good. Whatever. I'll, I'll put the app back. I put it back and like four or five people are like, hey, I just found your page just randomly. I'm yeah. very interested in your program. And I'm like, I did zero work. Yeah. So let that sink in, everybody. I hope that that helps that you. And, and uh, maybe you have some thoughts on that too. Yeah, I can. I, I can see that both as a as a as a client and as a as a business owner myself. I notice it when people are trying to sell me into something, and they're coming from a contracted place, and they might use the exact same words, but I can feel that the energy behind it is like, I really need you to buy this because otherwise, I'm going to stop believing. I can run this business, whatever it is, right? I can feel that, I can feel that contraction. Or when it is like, I'd love for you to join and I've got myself. Whether you say yes or no, I've got it. And so that, they can use the exact same words and people will sense it. And I've been, like from the outside, my, in my own business, I am incredibly inconsistent, yet very successful and I have the same as you. I cannot post for two weeks and sell and I don't I don't get where people are finding me, but they'll send me messages just saying, hey, Sophie, I you just feel so embodied and you just feel so real and I can feel you and I'd love to work with you. And so I, I, I love what you're talking about. Like, I think we are attracted to people that are in a in a conscious relationship with their own nervous system. And actually taking the time to regulate and not and not just only care about consistency and doing because if i'm working on my to-do list but i'm bringing this energy of like <gasps> that's a weird vibe i'm putting behind everything that i do and it's actually not always needed people will find me anyways in a very magical way because they can sense that i'm yeah they, they I, I literally get the message you just feel so embodied i'd love to work with you i love that <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What a good compliment. I'll get that sometimes. Like um, <clears throat> people will be like, I love your energy. That's my favorite compliment. Yeah. I think that your compliments like just as good, if not even better in some ways, like you're so embodied. You're like, wow, like you can feel that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, the compliment of like, I love your energy or there's just like, I just feel called. I just feel mm -hmm. called towards I'm having this chat. Um, what I would say for anybody, um, Okay, this is probably landing. This is clicking. You're either already all about this or maybe you're like playing with this and you want to let yourself go there a little bit more in terms of conscious rest and regulation, um, he healing at the nervous system level as a top priority. So being there for yourself, for yourself, love, for your self-care and all of that first. And then so the business happens as a cool byproduct because you're feeling great mm -hmm. um, is... 
usually if I ask an entrepreneur, do you want, why did you do this? Why did you want to have a business? Mm -hmm. Usually there's some element after helping people of, well, I want to be, I want to, I want to be free mm -hmm. in the sense of like financial freedom or some side of friends of freedom to mm -hmm. do what I want to do. And then, so I, I'll ask the second follow-up question sometimes of does being stressed about doing this work line up with that sense of freedom? Because I know for me, I want a freedom business. A freedom business isn't just a regular business. Regular business means you are exchanging your time for money and you have to essentially work. A freedom business is you are being yourself, pursuing what you care about, and you are passionate about it and you kind of be doing it either way. And then you also get paid and you're like, wow, that's amazing. So there's a difference between just being an entrepreneur and grinding versus yeah. having a freedom business, which is something that affords you the opportunity to be paid for being yourself and to sharing the things that you would be studying anyways, you would be doing anyways that you care about. And I think if you lean towards that freedom business side, you're going to want your nervous system to be in a state where you can enjoy that freedom. Because yeah. what's the point if you have a successful business, but you're literally in a state of dysregulation, you're not even enjoying the fruits of everything you want. So I'm guessing most people listening like the idea of the freedom business. So then having this as a baseline to really consciously rest first and foremost would probably be what you want. So admitting that to yourself and being like, okay, well, this is a non-negotiable this has got to be how it feels. Yeah. And then let's look at the actual nuts and bolts after I'm coming from the right alignment from what I desire, which is the freedom business, I'm assuming for most people. Um, I'm assuming most people who listen to this would probably find that desirable or be already pursuing that or having that or doing that. Yeah, you're, you're as a very final point, but I... I, I've, I, I coach uh, entrepreneurs myself and I've, I've been in a lots of masterminds for my own business. I've seen it in so many people that no matter how successful they are, no matter how much money they're making, their nervous system stays the same. And so the stress of the beginning business of, oh my God, I can't make money is still there when it's six figures, sometimes even seven figures. And the same, the same dysregulation, the same fear actually still plays out regardless of the number of people buying your product. And, and I, I've always said like money won't save you. A conscious man is not going to save you. You're going to have to deal with your inner dysregulation one way or another, because I know one thing, like the more successful my business is, it's not really solving that much of my problems, right? Like, of course it's, it's, it becomes a different game every time, but it's not solving the inner, the inner fear, the inner contraction that was always there anyway. So I'm going to have to be able to actually sit with it rather than than think like oh my god but only it, if i only make this then and and i've seen that in so many entrepreneurs that they just keep they 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 believe in the illusion that if they only have seven figures then they will and everything's going to be okay and then they get seven figures and it's the same story it's just like packaged slightly differently and so this work that you're talking about will is so important because really getting to know your own nervous system regardless of the outside world, regardless of all the circumstance that you're surrounded with, like getting to know your own nervous system and being able to respond to that and to take care of that is such an important skill. So I wanna thank you for being here, Will. This was such a cool conversation. I love geeking out about these things and I love when 
the things like relationship bridge with science like that is just the coolest thing in the world to me um if people want to hear more about you learn more about you contact you where can they find you i am mostly on instagram uh i really appreciate this by the way it's actually a lot of fun <clears throat> mostly on instagram at will dot derude d-e-r-o-o-d-e and um you know I think that's where you'll probably find the most useful content for me. I make these yeah, long really form cool posts. Um, you got to kind of want to geek out, meaning that you want to actually learn about something and, and, and maybe think about it and, and take some time to read the post. Or you can just look at the caption that I have. But um, that's where people can find me. And if they're curious about some of the different things that I offer, I have a nervous system reset. That's a thing that I offer just to help people to get really skillful with their nervous system. It's not going to necessarily do the work for you, but what it will do is it will set you up so that it's a lot easier to do that. And then I also have this HRV um, training program. So it's a trauma-informed HRV training program with somebody named Ashland, the trauma catalyst. Uh, she's on Instagram as well. She's really cool. And we have this joint 10-week program together where we help people basically in a trauma-informed way cultivate um, the capacity to regulate themselves through breathing, through heart-focused techniques, and ultimately to raise their HRV, which is a measurement of their overall nervous system health. So that's there. Um, that I'm actually really excited about. And Instagram would be the place. Send me a DM if anything resonated with you, at will.darude. And I really appreciate this podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. So nice. Thank you so much, Will, for being here. Thank you so much, my loves, for listening to another episode of The Deeper Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please pass along to even just one person who needs to hear this. And my love language is very much words of affirmation, so I love, love, love it when you share my work. If there was one sentence that popped out to you from today's episode, please do share it on your social media, tag me in it, and I will shower you with my gratitude. And always, if you want to stay connected, Instagram is the best place. That's where I'm the most active, sophie.josephina, or hop on on my mailing list, sophiejosephina.com. And before I forget, all of these conversations, so every podcast episode is now also available on my YouTube channel, so you can always check it out there.